Listening to the Illuminations Media Network. Welcome back to the Illuminations Media Network. I'm Tamara Westwood, your host, and I'm excited to bring you some more very exciting and, and informational uh, data for your mind, for your body, and for your spirit. Today, I have um, a colleague of mine from many years ago at the Hypnosis Motivation Institute, Lee Spusta. Lee Spusta is a sound engineer. He's also a hypnotherapist, and he's also a very, very uh, exciting pioneer in the area of sound healing, which is our very interesting topic today. And so, Lee, you've been on the show, oh, maybe about a decade ago. (laughs) Decade sounds so long ago, so maybe around 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, so you're back. I'm so grateful that you could take the time out. Of course I'm back. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that now is a really good time to uh, talk about sound healing. You know, yeah. we are bombarded with a lot of EMF waves. You know, we've got the 5G about to happen. Um, and people are waking up. People are waking up to the benefits of sound, uh, cymatics, that whole field. So because you haven't been with, uh, with our folks and our family for a while, please share a little bit about yourself. I only share just a wee bit about who you are. Oh, I understand that. Um, so, yeah, I've been interested in sound um, boy, since I was a... Uh, probably about 12 years old. I, even before that, I was into music like a lot of kids, you know, but I was always listening to those melodies and rhythms and trying to figure them out. Um, and so I, I picked up guitar and, you know, started learning instruments when I was a teenager. And that kind of eventually coincided with my interest in spirituality and uh, metaphysics and especially things like, you know, when you hear George Harrison playing the sitar, I'm like, what's going on with that? And so you start looking into the music of India and, you know, what their approach to sound and music is. And they have a a much greater and longer history of the sacred element of sound and music and how it can affect consciousness. And uh, so, you know, I started learning about that. Uh, and then finally, you know, it's been about 20, uh, 21 years ago, I ended up at HMI College of Hypnotherapy. And I was called, you know, kind of synchronistically to, to show up there. And those were the, what I learned there were like the missing pieces that I needed to start really understanding how I can take sound um, and music and, and bring it to people in a way that facilitates change, healing, uh, you know, meditative and and hypnotic states Um, and just the resonance within uh, that allows the, we all have an innate intelligence, I believe, whether it's our higher self or a connection to to universe and some types of sound and music kind of can create a pathway for people to access that and, and kind of shift the perspective away from the busy mind that tries to just rationalize everything or the worrying mind that wants to, you know, uh, just get frantic over stuff. And we have a layer of consciousness, um, you could say it's either below that or above that, but that isn't worried and isn't trying to figure it out. It just knows. And 
I feel that sound is a way into kind of a direct pathway to that. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years is putting together um, the soundtracks that are, you know, intended to do that in different ways, you know, create different avenues, uh, some things for um, more metaphysically minded people and some things that are just for getting into a deep sleepful state, like a deep delta, uh, theta music, alpha music. And so that's kind of what I've been doing and helping others also with their recordings and blending my music with their voice. Um, and uh, as also um, I myself create hypnosis and imagery products as well. So that's, that's kind of what I've been doing and experimenting also with um, as you had brought up uh, previous to recording this, I have a sound table which allows people to lay on it. And there's a vibroacoustic element to sound that if you have the ability to pass the low frequency sound through uh, a resonating you know, surface such as uh, the sound table, which is basically like a very large speaker enclosure, all the bass frequencies uh, are moving through the body. So every cell in the body is resonating with that vibration. And so it's kind of like being surrounded by a, a hundred monks chanting Om. And it's just, it's a very powerful experience. Um, and so we're looking at that. Uh, we've been doing that for a while. I'm looking at ways to kind of bring that to people in a more, you know, in an easier way, because just having one person with one sound table, that's a little limiting. And uh, I'm not even in a position to have people just come and check it out all the time. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, at HMI, we're looking at creating a, a, one of the rooms where we can actually embed a, a vibroacoustic system into the stage where multiple people could experience that at one time and do groups. So I'm looking into that. And then to finalize an introduction, I, I too have recognized that in the last, I guess since we've talked, the last decade, um, there has been a definite increase in people being interested in sound healing, in the resonance of sound, its capacity to shift consciousness and for healing. Um, it's, it's just getting bigger and bigger because I think people are, you know, intuitively understanding that there's a powerful thing there. Uh, sound baths have become a much more popular thing. Uh, so it's exciting to know that it's, 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 it's broadening, it's opening up and people are waking up to this idea. Oh, that's awesome. And you spoke to the brainwave levels. You, you spoke to the theta and the alpha. And as hypnotherapists, we know the importance of that, of shifting uh, the consciousness so that we can enter into that subconscious realm and, and suggest change to the individual. And if you could, just break that down a bit to uh, our listeners who may not know very much about those levels of consciousness. Sure. Uh... There's, there's four basic levels, even though there are, have been some new levels added uh, in the last while. Um, one of the more recent ones is epsilon, and then there's gamma. But let me start with the basic ones. So when we're in our normal chatterbox mind, we're in a beta state. So those are the fastest brain waves, and that's when we're using our logic and our reason, and we're trying to pay attention to things that uh, require our focus. Uh, so, you know, working on something, doing some math problem, um, you know, our basic 
busy mind is the beta. And that, and that works for us, but if we stay in beta too long, you know, we start to get stressed out because it is very active. And if we don't have an outlet for it, then it turns into a, a feeling of anxiety or stress. Um, and so the state below that is alpha. And that's when our brainwaves start to settle down a little bit and they move down, um, whereas beta is more in the uh, 13 to 18 to 20, depending on who you talk to, uh, brainwave state of cycles per second. Uh, so 13 to 20 cycles per second is the beta. Now below that, you have basically uh, from 8 to 12. That's alpha. And when we're in alpha, it's a very natural, calm state. We're still awake. We're still focused, but we're in a more calm, receptive place. And some people experience that as a light meditation, or maybe you just get a little daydreamy. Or even when you're reading a book, it engages that part of the mind that you start to be a little loose and, and more receptive. And it's a lot less stressful. And it's a more ideal state that we want people to be able to experience every day um, to kind of hit that reset button. And it's not hard to get into. Typically, all people need to do is close their eyes and take a few deep breaths, and they start propagating alpha waves. Um, and then below that, we have the theta. Now, theta is from four to seven, or right below eight, let's say 7.9. Um, and theta is a more uh, deeper kind of meditative or hypnotic state, or, um, you know, if we're, if we're asleep and we're dreaming, there's a lot of theta. Uh, if we're having deeper spiritual experiences, there's probably a good amount of theta going on. It's a, also when we're in a very creative space, we're using a lot of having a lot of theta. And brainwave activity can coincide. You can have some theta with alpha and beta. It's never just one thing. It's just what's dominant. And so if you're theta dominant at a given moment, then you're going to be more in a creative or a deeper, um, you know, inner awareness state and or... Um, perhaps often in dreamland. And then finally, the delta is the deeper, not quite the deepest, but uh, because like I said, they're finding new categories of, of rhythms, but typically it's, it's the lowest that we engage in. So when we're in the deep uh, dreamless sleep, we're usually in uh, um, primarily delta. And that's from about... 0.5 up to four cycles per second. And that's when our body is recharging, resetting, re, uh, renewing. It's all the cells are doing their thing to get prepared for the next day. So that's our restorative type of, of state. Now, that what we want to do sometimes, if somebody needs um, physical healing, uh, we might want to bring up some of those delta rhythms, even if they're not sleeping. Uh, because there's a restorative quality. There's communication that happens when there's a, enough delta that the body starts understanding, okay, it's time to really release stress, let go, and allow harmony and balance to, to set in so we can really hit that restart button. And uh, now beyond that, we do have the gamma, which is above the beta thinking mindset. And the gamma is exhibited with uh, monks that are in a very uh, high conscious state. They exhibit gamma waves. Um, or if somebody's having a psychic experience, 
Um, but also they've noticed uh, when people are in the zone that it's one of the waves that start to come on. And so previously it was thought that it was just alpha. And then they realized, no, there's some gamma happening there. And anytime you have gamma, there's often what they call epsilon, which is the very, very slowest brain waves. And so it's, that's an area that's still kind of getting figured out. It's, it's, it's newer. The research is still going on. But what's coming out is that we can uh, absolutely stimulate an abundance of those waves and get some interesting results for consciousness, uh, spiritual connectedness, that kind of thing. And uh, super learning also helps with memory and retention. And they're looking into even people that suffer from Alzheimer's or dementia, wanting to increase their gamma production or their, you know, how many gamma waves they're producing because it's linked to um, memory, especially long-term memory. And so there's some interesting stuff to look at there. Fascinating. Now, Lee, you spoke about rhythm and you also spoke about dominance. So that can take us into the realm of music and the effect that it has on our consciousness. You know, you, you talk about entrainment. Yes. That, that if someone is in beta and they are stressed out, and as hypnotherapists, we want to get them out of beta, you know, so that we can, we can get that mind into the alpha, theta, and it'd be awesome if we could get to gamma. <laughs> um, but what are some of those tools that can, can entrain and, and get that mind to, to slow on down? All right. Um, well, first, so that people understand the use of the term entrainment, it's, it's when we have a, uh, we're using one rhythm in order to affect uh, another rhythm that's typically, in this case, a biorhythm. So our brainwave activity is a biorhythm. And so an external rhythmic response, if it's in the general vicinity of what our brain is doing, it can lead and pace uh, the brain waves to slow down, to speed up. Uh, so that's the process of entrainment, uh, where you're just coaching and leading brainwave activity to either step up or step down. And we can use sound and music as a carrier for those rhythms to do that. Uh, but I do see, and I, or I know, that People intuitively do this when they know that they need, you know, to, to unwind or whatnot. And that's what that's when people go to their favorite music, you know, whether it's dance music, some people like to do with your movement, uh, where you have that beat and that rhythm is, is present. You know? uh, some people want to do it through listening to, to Mozart or Beethoven or something, you know, where it's just the, they like the, the, the textures of the music. And, you know, the thing is, even if there's not a specific entrainment brainwave activity that's happening with these pieces of music overall there's an engagement that our brain does it it automatically starts moving more into an alpha when we're listening to music especially music that we enjoy that we enjoy yeah and if we have an association to it maybe we grew up with it and we love the lyric or that melody now we have an additional reinforcement for why it's going to have a positive effect even if it's music that some people might go like how can you listen to that you know the metallica music is so you know distorted and loud and fast you know what if if somebody likes it that's almost more important than what it sounds like yeah. in that context um so you know i would encourage anybody just just to remember you always have that just turn on your favorite music it's going to help you to feel better it's going to help you unwind and release some stress and get your mind off of your troubles for a bit 
However, we do produce music uh, that we know has an even greater capacity to do that, to shift and help people to release stress and shift their perspective and their mindset. And that's where we get into entrainment music itself, where we're using longer stretched out notes. So it just sounds much slower. Changes happen over a much slower period of time. And that automatically kind of intuitively tells us we can slow down and settle down start breathing more deeply. Uh, and we use tones that are a lot like monks chanting this kind of ohm like quality to it because historically it's, it's, it's got the most resonance and in the people of India, for instance, call it Om, uh, you know, the sound of the universe is Om. And they, you know, they, they kind of figured it out that, that this, this hum or this vibrational force that, that's present in the universe uh, exhibits itself also through sound in a way that uh, gets people to calm down, slow down, and get more connected. And so there are different ways we can tap into that, different textures and things that coach us uh, psychologically and physically to slow down, you know, to, to let the stress just go by the wayside, you know. Uh, so that, that's what I've been doing, of course, is, is composing music that has that purpose in mind, that it's enjoyable, but the conscious mind doesn't worry about where the melody is going or what the rhythm is. It becomes background enough so that a person's own experience can take the forefront so that it, whether it's a, just tuning in to see how they're doing in their body or a perspective shift on an issue that they're dealing with or just being open to feeling connected to spirit or source, you know, these are all just different things that we can do when we get into that, that layer of consciousness. Excellent. And and you spoke to the term resonance. Yes. You know, we, we connect resonance with a vibrational frequency, and certainly everyone has their own signature frequency. And when we want to induce or support, you know, a more healing resonance, that's where we would apply um, the specific tones or frequencies. And that takes me to the binaural beats that a lot of people are, you know, including in music. And so there's a lot of talk about whether or not to use those beats with music. Does it, does it interfere with the resonance of the music? Should you use the beats alone and just focus on the music? Okay. I have, I have both an educated response to that and an opinion about that. Yeah. Um, so the, the science on it is that a binaural beat happens when you separate uh, two tones, one in your left ear and one in your right, and that by how different they are, let's say one is a value of 100 cycles per second, then the other one is 110 cycles per second. The difference between the two is 10, mm -hmm. therefore the beat frequency is 10 cycles per second, which puts you right at the peak of alpha and the beginning of, of, of beta, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And so that, that, that beat frequency, however, because we're using in binaural beats, you have to use headphones. Okay. It's separated. So those two tones are not really combining in the air to produce that third uh, differential beat rhythm. Mm -hmm. Your brain knows that it's supposed to be there. So it generates it internally. And that's the benefit of that approach is it engages the brain in actually producing something. And so 
that's its benefit. And it also produces a hemispheric synchronization where the two halves of the brain, because they have to share data to produce this third rhythm, they're, they're balancing out. So those are the benefits to binaural beats. The, the, the detriment or the downside is you have to use headphones for that particular approach. Um, and when you do mix it into music, sometimes that can interfere if you want it to be present enough. It's, it's so, you, you know, you kind of have to weigh if that's the way you want to go about it or not. Personally, I no longer use binaural beats uh, due to the fact that it relies on headphones. A lot of people aren't in the position they want to use headphones. You know, they want to have the speakers off to the side and still have something go on. Um, but what we found is two different things. One, that there's what's called an isochronic tone. And they found that as far as entrainment itself, isochronic tones are more powerful than binaural beats. And all an isochronic tone is, it's a, it's a rhythm that, that goes on and off in a regular pattern. So where the volume is what is being modulated, you know, up and down and at a specific frequency, let's say 10 again. And that can be embedded within any music soundtrack or any song, technically. Um, at, and then you just find a, a volume level where it's, you know, I say that just below obvious awareness mm -hmm. is fine to where if they're not paying attention to it, they wouldn't notice it was there. But there's enough of an oscillation happening that the brain does pick it up. Um, but I would say, you know, it's not going to be that effective if you embedded in Lady Gaga's music. It's, you know, her rhythms are going to overtake the isochronic or the binaural, whatever you try and put in there, you know. Um, so it's, it's subtle enough that you need to have the right type of music to present it as the, as the carrier wave, let's just say. And so the soothing music or the long stretched out or ohm-like types of ambient uh, soundtracks are best for that. Um, so aside from that, that's how we do scientific entrainment where you want to specifically produce a result in the listener to a specific brainwave state. If you're not having to be that specific, I personally think you oftentimes just don't even need the rhythmic entrainment at all. Maybe it's opinion, but it's kind of over the years of, of looking at things, I've realized that, that the first thing that, that's tuning us into having a physiological and psychological response is the texture, the sound quality of music we're listening to. And so when it's very soothing and ambient and it feels expansive, that's more of a clue than any rhythm, you know. Um, and also when it has that home, like low vibrational hum to it, that resonance, I think, is more powerful than any entrainment beat frequency. Um, and so time and time again, if people are listening to just those kinds of elements, they will go into a nice, usually deeper than alpha state, just by listening to that. Close your eyes and breathe and just let that soundtrack take you someplace. And I find that that's the real power of that kind of music it's still entrainment and you know technically but it's just not targeting using a, a beat frequency to get you to a specific state it allows you to go where you need to go 
And I tend to like to produce that way with the music uh, because that way if somebody needs just a break and get into a nice alpha, that's where they'll go. If they need something deeper, they'll just go there. And nothing's going to interfere with that. Right. So it's not about taking over and, and controlling where the person goes. It's, it's a better tool to allow instead. Yeah. It's yeah. an allowing, creating a space where they can move within it how they need to for that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people don't even know what that is until they engage in it, you know? Right. And, and that part, that part of us that's inside, the one that knows all things, um, that part knows exactly yeah. what we need in that moment. Beautiful. Now, headphones, no headphones. You spoke earlier about the sound table and and how those vibrations that come through the speaker actually create a resonance with the cells. Right. But when a person puts those headphones on, of course it's not resonating with the rest of the body. And it's going in through the eardrums. Uh Can you speak a bit about that fascinating vagus nerve? Oh, the sure, yeah. Yes. That, that nerve runs throughout our entire body, and it informs our endocrine system, what it's doing. So it has a lot to do with re- regulation and hormones and everything mm-hmm. else. And so then it has a lot to do with chemical messengers throughout the body. Um, and the idea of whether we have physical sound waves affecting our physical body versus just the eardrums. The one thing is if we are using headphones, you know, the eardrums are converting that sound into electrical impulses and then our brain is then experiencing that and doing its thing about whether it's releasing this hormone or, or, or this brainwave, uh, I'm sorry, um, um, neurotransmitter, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's still stuff that's going on that affects the rest of the body. And so you get a sense of resonance through what the brain is doing in its experience to these sounds coming in. However, I do think that if you have the opportunity, it is more powerful to have physical sound interacting with your body. Uh, and you can still do that by, you know, just turning on your stereo system. It doesn't have to be loud, but just the sound waves moving through the air and yeah if you have a subwoofer or a nice system like that that's great you know some people if they sit in the car not while they're driving but if they sit in the car and they're sitting in the seat you know the car is designed to to fill the space with bass and stuff you can get into a real nice state and feel all those vibrations sitting in your car you know listening to it uh so there's ways to do it you know and if you want to additionally put headphones on, you can do that. You know, um, the stereo imaging also does provoke that hemispheric synchrony in the brain, so that's always a good thing. You know, um, that's that's the benefit side of using headphones. But even if you have your speakers placed near enough to you that you get that sense of stereo, the sense of left and right, you can still get that brain balancing effect. Uh, so. I would encourage people to look at it that way. Set your speakers up where you, you get a sense of right and left and maybe a little bit of bass response in the room. Even if you have to lay on the floor to do it, uh, you're going to get much more out of that kind of music when you're listening to it because it's a whole body, mind, uh, brain experience. Um, but if all you can do is headphones because you're in a public place or something, by all means, it's still going to be helpful and, and help you to get into a, you know, an altered state of relaxation. It's just whatever it is that's going to work for you at the time, but I wouldn't lock people into headphones by any means. I, I think it's, there's a limiting 
concept there. Uh, yeah. And you answered my next question, Lee. Um, the sound table, you know, you're, you're in a space. follow.